together they've taken one of the videos down so uh the video about palm beach crack addicts it's been taken down it, you know and it was the one that was voiced by uh what was it joe montagna the uh the guy who um who voices uh fat tony in the uh simpsons right okay well, that one's gone so now we have to look into uh we have to see this video um uh some uh, filmmaking group called gorilla shanks about Miami's ghetto. I've been doing shit since I was about 16, 17. Smoking dirty, drinking. But as the years went on, somewhat shit changed. Not everything, just some shit. But the weed and coke smokers, that shit ain't gonna never stop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel fucked. <laughs> Straight up and this shit keep me calm and keep me from killing people out here. Y'all need to legalize this shit. No, I got some together. Walking happy in the city. Man. Better one on the way. One on the way. How y'all feel about it? How y'all see what y'all want to say? Young black man. <laughs> what is baby mama and the kids, man? Walk like I was saying, right? I used to trap right here. And um, I, this was like right before February, Valentine's Day 2007, right? I'm out here. I ain't gonna yeah. lie to you. I'm, I'm coked up. I'm peeped up. I'm out my mind. I got the graveyard shift, which is 10, 10 and 9, 10 in the morning. Right? It's about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Anyway, I'm sitting up there. I'm taking me a couple toots. Next thing I know, I hear this, this ruckus right here in this little area right here. Right here in this little area right here, right? So I'm sitting in the cut. There's a little area if you can get right there. I'm right there in that little cut on the third floor. And I'm sitting now, peep down trying to see what's going on. So anyway, all I hear is, man, this is, um, man, nigga, uh, uh, yeah, nigga, this you or something like that. And next thing I know, the nigga say, man, I hear the dude say, man, please don't kill me. And that's when I look. And when I looked, I seen, I seen the dude shoot like three times, three or four times, man, I killed the man point, like point blank range, sitting right here, man. So yeah, that, it's you crazy. It's like, up. it really goes down out here, like right in front of you. And, um, you know, I'm just happy to still be alive, man. Go car straight to the shot house, man. Waiting for their sight to come up here. Vibing in the hood, man. It's a shot house. I knew I was in the county jail, and in the 
never fails to pack the bad boys in bail. Bad boys bail bonders, who I call. Then the courtesy and services top them all. They worked it all out with a call on the phone. And before I even knew it, I was free to run. My apologies for taking so long. So the um, that was like in a that was in the Bay Area, like Oakland or San Francisco or something, right? The Bad Boys Bail Bond. Yeah. yeah. I think we actually got a magnet of it. Oh. You know, to put it up on our refrigerator. Should we need to call them right next to our pizza delivery? We had the Bad Boys Bail Bonds number, just in case. Yeah, you know, uh, in a lot of, like, for a lot of, like, um, background sounds, I've used uh, the um, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, uh, sounds, um, you know. Uh, this is me, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> so, uh, like, apparently, you know, a lot of people set these up on the internet so that they could use these to prank call people, right? And they would use voices from people, but then after a while, sometimes they would call people, and those people would, they would record those people, and then they make soundboards out of those people, you know, and then eventually they would call those people back with their own soundboards and stuff, and then they, they become aware. One of the more infamous stories of this is this guy that's actually a bail bondsman, who is somewhere in Southern California, and uh, he just, like, uh, um, uh, I guess his name's Fred or something, and, uh, Gregory Stevens? Or something like that. And, and like, he just, you know, like, people have make all these calls of this guy. Um, uh, you know, and it's just, it took on, like, a life of its own. Like, there's recordings of him saying, oh, I'm on YouTube. Oh, yeah. And you can see his uh, face there. And so oh, the that's actually a, a picture somebody else took of somebody else. Supposedly, that guy. Now, there's a there's this Wikia page about it. Like, so I don't know if any of this shit is true, but um, uh, there's a there's there's a page about him, and it says that this picture um, is actually a uh, a picture from somebody that took a from taken in 2006 in San Francisco. By 45 Fremont Street, um, some guy who was a, I don't know, you know, like a security guard or a cop or somebody. Supposedly, that's the picture. It's not that guy. And then, but on the wiki, they helpfully have a picture, supposedly, of the actual bail bondsman. That's funny. So nothing is real. No, not on, not on the internet. <laughs> Are you, what are you can calling I do for? here? Stop calling here. Pardon me? Well, you need to stop calling here. Uh, calling where? I might. You know what? I've been getting calls for all day long that I'm calling somebody. Yes. And I'm not calling anybody. I've already told you I, who I am. Pardon me? Well, you need Check to stop calling here. I'm not calling anybody. I, 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 uh, I'm who am I calling, sir? You can call the sheriff's department and confirm it. Which sheriff's it's department? It's a joke. It's a fucking What's joke. That? It's people you know like that? My name's Fred Herbert. I'm a bell bondsman. If you live in the um, northern part of the United States, you may have noticed that it's very, very cold 
and you are possibly getting dumped with a lot of snow. No. Um, She's got a lot of tissue boxes. Back um, in the... Um, Three of them stacked up. Areas such as um, the Dakotas and Montana on through to Minnesota. Um, Monday and Tuesday, they're expected to get um, sub-zero temperatures with wind chill factors almost as bad as negative 50. Here where I live in Jackson, Michigan, I think we've got um, almost a foot of snow today. So, so it's um, not Kunk Brothers good guys, everybody else bad guys. It's just that I've been constantly accused of working for the Kunk Brothers with no evidence. And then so I go and I think, you know, I say, well, let me really research the Kunk Brothers. And so it becomes kind of a little good. project as I do in research. And I discover that they're anti-Agenda 21. They have, quote, secret meetings with conservative leaders. And they, and they sneak out the audio, and it's, how do we defend the Second Amendment? Come on, don't the bullshit family? me. Uh, how do we keep America competitive? Uh, how do we reverse offshoring? I mean, you can go to the Brad blog. Wait a minute. Before, you know, got the, quote, secret recordings a few years ago, the Republican uh, you know, libertarian powwow with Judge Napolitano as the keynote speaker. Oh, my goodness, the evil. And, and the whole thing is about we must defend the Second Amendment, the family, and property rights. You know, th there are collectivist what do you want? who want to shut down all the nouveau riche and independent rich. I mean, that's what's going on at these meetings. The Koch brothers, ladies and gentlemen, lobby and give money to pro-Second Amendment causes. I'll I don't know who it is. Today. I spent a couple hours. That's Alex Jones, you know, and he's just going on and on about um, how okay the Koch brothers are, as you can hear. Fine, what a great. scumbag, you know? I mean, uh, here's, here's, uh, this is also a clip from Alex Jones, the right-wing nut on the But I have radio passed internet. almost emotional or, or awakening periods in my life. Uh, it really is like a spiritual threshold. And previously I'd cross them every two or three years and it would have like this big come to Jesus moment. You could really feel it. And, and I would consciously see the area I'm going into and the responsibilities. And then last night, God just showed me so much, and I couldn't even talk. And I do not even feel worthy to be here bringing you this information. And I oh, just absolutely <laughs> brought You're me to a place ready. I've never been. To you know, where God just really says, "You want to see the evil? Here it is. Feel it." And what am I doing? The yet, children sir? are feeling God Almighty. Hi. <laughs> Folks, we gotta, we gotta get good people to stand up against these people. You need pizza. <laughs> shouldn't even have done this radio show today because oh, I have no, this disgusted cover for how I just hate the globalists, but it's more than that. Let me explain. And I, and I just get flippant and angry, but it's because deep down, folks, I can see what they're doing, and I have, we have a responsibility Negative. to stop these globalists.
So, you are listening to the Pacific Public in WS Life 64 podcast with me, Dan McCown, and with Jessica. Hi. This is episode 121. We recorded on January 12th, 2014. is glad to give himself in, uh, some scandal. You've heard about this story, right? I have. Um, you know, there's, um, there's just like the, the basics of the, uh, story outlined here with this, uh, video. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie answered questions about his administration's involvement in the closing of two lanes on the busiest bridge in the U.S. for nearly two hours this week, but there are still many unanswered questions. Christie is accused of ordering two of the three lanes on the George Washington Bridge to be closed for four days in September of 2013. Loser! The You're a loser! Are you Jersey feeling sorry for yourself? Bid for re-election. The George Washington Bridge connects New Jersey to New York City, and it carries 102 million vehicles per year. Christie denied this week that he had personal knowledge of the emails that were revealed to be exchanged by aides in his administration and state transportation officials, and he fired two key members of his staff. Christie has never been accused of shrinking from media attention, and he held court with reporters for nearly two hours this week in an Ask Questions Until You Drop news conference. But there are still some unanswered questions about the burgeoning bridge scandal, including, was anyone in the Christie administration involved in the initial decision to close the lanes on the George Washington Bridge? Yes. Why would aides to Christie risk the scandal of seeking vengeance on the little-known mayor of Fort Lee, especially when he was already going to win? Did you Christie have any conversations with departed Port Authority member David Wildstein in recent months? Are there any more explosive emails? And will any prominent Republicans come to Christie's defense? One of us is in deep trouble. So they shut down part of a, a bridge in order to... Uh, President that Obama video was from the Hill. All right, so it keeps auto-playing. Um, yeah. You ever been across the George Washington Bridge? I don't think I have. We used to take it sometimes when we would go into the city when I was visiting my grandparents in, uh, Kearney, New Jersey. But I guess if I flew into Newark and I was going into the city, would I go over that bridge? I feel like I went under a tunnel. It stands to reason that you probably went under the Lincoln Tunnel. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a, a good question, though, like, um, because he... If you were going to Lower Manhattan or um, Long Island, you know, Brooklyn, Queens, you probably would have gone on the tunnel um, because uh, it's, it's, uh, George Washington Bridge is, is considerably north. So, like, when I, when I crossed it um, that time I was visiting New York uh, years ago with, uh, with my friend Rob, you know, I, I took that route, I remember, because I remember noting how high, how, how, um, far north um, in New York we were. And uh, it actually is above Central Park. It's, uh, it's what, what is it, New Amster- Amsterdam Boulevard or something like that? Um, where, where it drops you off? Am I, am I, 
crazy. All right, so here, that's the that's the bridge there. Trans Manhattan Expressway, um, and then yeah, you know, you're so you're pretty far north, right? You're at around 170th Street. Okay. And so from there, um, you have to go down the, you know, the Hudson Parkway or whatever to get. You know, down into lower New York. Whereas, if you take the Lincoln Tunnel, it takes you right into um, Midtown. And if you take the Holland Tunnel, it takes you right to downtown. So, from Newark Airport, yeah, you're probably taking one of those. Yeah. Um, it, 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 those are, you know, those are the ones that get you uh, closer to the, you know, the more visited parts of the city. Yeah, so he, he closed down two lanes saying that it was a, a traffic study. Yeah, they were throwing around this story. They were slinging this story that it was a traffic study. <laughs> what happens when you close lanes on yeah, this bridge? Exactly, that's what people are saying. Up. And there's a lot of skepticism about whether there was even any traffic uh, study at all, you know. Um so, you know, it's basically, it's just like, this guy was strategically positioned to, uh, to be a, uh, a candidate in, uh, uh, the 2016 election. You know, what, what did, what do you think of that? Like, even putting this scandal aside, um, what, what do you think about him running in that, you know, as a Republican nominee? Chris Christie for the presidential? Yeah, well, um, Republican... He would never win. Yeah, but I don't think any Republican has much chance of winning, right? So, well, it's it's a different criteria. You know, it's like, it's kind of strange, but... Um, the fact that this scandal happened and the fact that no, no Republicans, you know, stood up for him shows that he just went rogue and, you know, has no support. You know? I think you have a point. Like, if it was a planned Republican attack... They would have also probably thought that something like this could get, could happen, and they would have roused the support to continue the lie and the story. But since they haven't, you know, they don't really know where this is coming from. Plus, he does not look presidential. You know, the, the American people have a certain image of what a president looks like, and Chris Christie is not it. Well, that may be fair enough. I think I think he's he may be electable in New Jersey, but not electable around the country. Um, and then another, I, I mean, I think, I think you're making really good points and, and I think the tension with this party had already come into play because of his, uh, yeah, his attempts to, to get elected in New Jersey to look quote unquote electable. You, you can't, you know, New Jersey is a, li a more liberal state than like Southern states anyway. Um, so he had to pretend to be. You know, it was like this style thing. And his actual policies have been very right-wing, very... But, like, he's against, you know... He's really, like, you know, just for tax cuts for the rich. He's really just for Wall Street. And he's not he's not for, like, you know, schools and, like, you know, workers and, you know, that kind of stuff. He's not for gay rights. He, you know, the, the state forced gay rights on him. He didn't, you know, agree to um, to implement it you know, in terms of marriage equality and stuff. So he, yeah, he's, yeah, I mean, he's bad news, but this is kind of exposing him for a thug in one of these kind of bare knuckle, um, uh, you know, political hack type thugs that you find 
in the areas around Chicago and New York and places like that where there's a big city, hard scrabble kind of politics. Um, and it does make you, once you succeed in those kinds of areas, it makes it kind of hard to succeed nationally, right? Like, Obama didn't stay in Illinois too long, like, you know, um, on his way to Washington. Uh, people that get kind of, people that are, you, you know, electable in those areas, like a Bloomberg or a Rudy Giuliani, they, they weren't, they're not good national candidates, but they get hyped up. Remember how there was Bloomberg hype? You know, you're, you're kind of onto it. I think he was maybe just a stalking horse, like a early hype candidate that wasn't really going to make it. And I don't know who he'd be a stalking horse for, but, but I mean, like, you know, it's like, no, I don't see him as being very electable, but the thing about Christie is that he's in the twisted. Okay. I think the only real point I have to make is that in the funhouse mirror world of Republican politics, there he was simultaneously someone that the Republicans could say was a quote unquote centrist. He was a moderate. He was electable, right? Even though he's not on a national level, I don't think, and he's not likable and things like that. Like, but he, they, they could sell him as that. That's why we got to pick him because they tend to pick the, the guy. The last two rounds now, they've picked the pragmatic loser, right? Instead of the ideological um, fire breather, the Mike Huckabee or the. Uh, I don't know, Rick Santorum, one of those dolts, you know? Like, if, if if one of those, they end up picking the boring so-called moderate that isn't really moderate, so they can tell themselves they picked a moderate or something because they know Chris Christie isn't really a moderate, right? They like that he is an extremist. And even if his policies aren't extremist compared to a Southern Republican governor or whatever, his temperament is. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he'd be a scary kind of personality to put in charge of a lot of power like obama's probably too cool he's probably too laid back but chris christie that guy just he's just yeah i mean he just rages at people like and and i mean i don't know rachel maddow was doing this thing about about all the political retribution he's done in in history in the history of his like in the history of his uh you know political career like um i don't know like there's there's just there's all these examples that she laid out of uh, times like like a former governor was had his police detail taken away because you know he wasn't getting along with Christie so the state trooper that accompanied him to events was pulled yeah he's he's a bully you know and and I think um, so I I guess what I'm trying to understand is the 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 Republican aka like the Republican Party put Chris Christie out there. To make themselves, what feel better, look better. I'm, look, I'm going beyond logic here, beyond reason, because the Republicans, if you look at what they do, even though they have a shrinking coalition and they're not very astute, they still are like underperforming, right? They're not doing very well. They they've gotten trounced twice in a row by Obama, you know, like nationally, and they're they're just not on a very strong course. They don't control the Senate, and and their demographics are shrinking. But instead of saying, look, we really got to start playing ball with the rest of the country, with younger men, with minorities, and with women, because all they really have is older white men. And that's shrinking as a percentage of the country in terms of power, right? So relatively yeah. speaking. So what's going to happen? Well, who knows? They're not being smart about managing their decline, right? They're like, 
they're like the IBM of political parties. They're old. They've been around forever. No one's excited by them. Maybe they can still eke out a living if they play their cards right. Maybe but they're, just they're using... not like IBM being run professionally. Sorry. No, but maybe they're just using him to get in the news, so to speak, with yeah, no real sort thought of, this... of actually ever putting him up on the ticket, but just keeping the story going. Now, this is a, a really big blow... Um, up in their face. Yeah, it doesn't make like, them look good, but maybe right. they're but it's okay to throw him off of the ship to lighten the um the you know uh you know I don't know. I think it's the still cargo. bad for Republicans though. I mean, you know, when all is said and done, I mean his behavior reflects back on that party overall when people think about Republicans. Well, I think you're right, but but I, I think maybe maybe there are people there being too clever by half and and not realizing that and but no you're right i don't think it is look i don't think it's republican he manufactured this own his own scandal by being a thug and one of these like total thuggery operations got out in the open because emails by his aides are saying very clearly that he is you know that that they're looking for vengeance against this mayor of the small town of fort lee because he wouldn't endorse christie and, and the mayor's a democrat what is he supposed to do He's you know so petty well, that's the thing, is that a guy that rises to this level of power can still be that petty. That's a little alarming. They should impeach him. Well, I, I actually like heard there was rumors. Thing. Well, I heard there were rumors that if they connect him to the decision to close the bridge, they probably will impeach him in the in New Jersey legislature. I don't know if they'll impeach and convict. I don't know, if they, I don't know how similar it is to the... I mean, it's a governor, right? So they're going to have different procedures at their state than they will at the federal level. But assuming it's like the U.S., yeah, I mean, why wouldn't they try? Why wouldn't they try? So It's just malicious. Yeah. These right here, these were the most important ones. But what I also want the people of New Jersey to know is that this is the exception, not the rule. And they've seen that over the last four years with the way I've worked and what I've done. So Who are I don't you? want to fall into the trap of saying, well, this one incident happened, therefore the one incident defines the whole. It does not. This is the exception. This is not the rule. Shortly after Governor Christie's press conference was over, his office clipped and blasted out that section of his remarks as, as what they wanted to be the takeaway message from the press conference. Governor Christie insisting that this is not how he does things. This is not Amateur. the way he operates as governor. And that is sort of key to Chris Christie successfully managing to keep some distance between himself and what happened here, right? Arguing that his administration exacting terrible retribution for some perceived political slight was an anomalous error. It was a mistake. It was not business as usual. That's not the way he has governed in New Jersey. He can't possibly understand why anybody who worked for him would think that's what the governor would want them to do. Do you remember Jim McGreevy? Jim McGreevy was the former governor of New Jersey who was forced to resign in the middle of a sex scandal back in 2004. Remember, I am a gay American. Uh, when Jim McGreevy stepped down as governor, New Jersey's Senate president at the time, a man named Richard Cody, uh, he ascended to the job. He became the new governor. Richard Cody served out the rest of Jim McGreevy's term, and then he decided that he would return to the state Senate. And in 2011, once he was back in the state Senate, Richard Cody got into a very public battle with the newly elected governor, Chris Christie. Richard Cody decided that he wanted to block two of Governor Christie's nominees. And that caused the two of them to effectively go to political war. 
Chris Christie held a press conference in which he railed against Richard Cody for being, quote, combative and difficult. Mr. Cody went to the press and called out Governor Christie for being childish. And then things left the realm of that specific political fight. Look at this. Quote, days later, Mr. Cody was walking out of an event in Newark, New Jersey, when he got a call from the state police superintendent informing him that he would no longer be afforded the state trooper who accompanied him to occasional public events, which is a courtesy granted to all former governors. Outrageous. Cody, a former governor, was stripped of his security detail just days after holding up a pair of Chris Christie nominees. But that was just the start of it. Quote, that same day, Mr. Cody's cousin who had been appointed to the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, was fired from his job, as was a close friend of Mr. Cody's and his former deputy chief of staff, who was working for a different state agency. So Richard Cody blocks a pair of Chris Christie nominees. Then in response, within days, his security detail gets stripped, his cousin gets fired, his close friend and former staffer also gets fired. They both lose their jobs with the state. This is a man named Alan Rosenthal. Alan Rosenthal in 2011 was a professor of political science. Well, at I mean, University she just continues uh, on there, and you know, so that's that's at the Rachel Maddow Show website. If you want to see the whole report, it's like seven minutes long, and there's and that's just one segment because she'd been covering this for a while. But the um, just the fact of it is, it's just like one petty <laughs> bit of payback like that after another, firing people's whatever cousins or whatever. Like, but but if you. If you under, if you've seen how Chicago and I'm I'm guessing New York New Jersey work, that's the that's the kind of way those places work. Glenview, Illinois, Cruella, with a K. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they, uh, they're, uh, I don't know, electronic, you know, dubstep, uh, pop kind of band. Nice. Um, yeah, you know. And they're on Spotify, which is great. Yeah, yeah. I'm really surprised by actually how much music Spotify has. A lot of the genres that I like, you know. You um, know, I I saw them um, trumpeting that they just got the rights to Led Zeppelin. Well, that's good. Yeah, that was one of the missing things. Like, um, you know, for a while Led Zeppelin had been kind of scarce online, and then I they I think made their way to iTunes, um, but then uh, they weren't on Spotify. And they just get you know managed to get licensed on Spotify. Uh, I don't know a few weeks ago or something like that. Well, there's there's a lot of that between you know the music services and the movie services. Yeah. You know between Amazon and Netflix, who has what new series live streaming? Oh yeah. There's a lot of like exclusives coming out, just like video uh, game platforms did. I mean, you know you want people to sign up for Amazon or Netflix or Spotify or you know, whatever else, because they have the content you want. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, content is king. And yes, you want to have a great platform and pricing and, you know, user experience. But if you don't have the goods, you know, people aren't going to be attracted to your site. 
Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of competition in that space. Like Spotify, I think, is probably the most popular, but there's also RDO, which you see a good deal still. And then there's also, I know Mog had a little bit of a following, and they're all very similar, right? They're all about $10 a month, and they all let you subscribe and get music in a, on a subscription basis. And uh, there's another competitor entering in, in there. Well, I mean, there's a few, like, there. I know for a while there was an Xbox music subscription service that was very similar in practice, some differences. And then not long ago, Google Music moved from just offering um, a kind of music uh, locker service um, and a music, you know, uh, pay-for uh, service like iTunes, more or less, you know, uh, they also now have a music subscription service based on a large library. So it's, it's really in that same competitive area. And it also just it made me think when you're talking about how uh, somewhere there's a lot of exclusives. I know when they launched Google Music, the Google Play Music Store, they only had like three of the four record labels. They didn't have uh, Warner Music. And I think, I don't know if they have it now or not, you know, but like that's that happens sometimes, like when they can't come to terms because of different fa- features of the service or um, concerns that the rights holders have. And I mean, to be fair, the rights holders are greedy and, you know, they're represented by the RAA. So, you, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, going to indulge their, you know, greed head arguments about stuff. I'm against the whole way that the system is done. But at the very least, the licensing for the music catalog of major um, companies is has been really managed by these services a lot better than even Netflix has. Netflix has pulled off quite a trick, right? And their only real competitor is Amazon Prime, and that's pretty. That's not even really on the same level, right? Like, but even they, how much of what percentage of popular movies and shows at any one time do they have license? You know, like we were watching Kids in the Hall. They went off, you know, Netflix like at the beginning of this year. Yeah, well, there's some TV show that's coming out, and Amazon has the exclusive i believe and the press release I saw. oh yeah like they're doing house of cards style exclusives to their platform right like the way netflix has done with the series that they've they've bought or 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 backed this wasn't a, a an amazon exclusive like a amazon series it was a one already in existence okay so they had bought this the the secondary rights to it they had bought the distribution rights to an existing project on that on the digital platform yeah, that makes sense sure i mean there's all sorts of exclusives they're gonna try let's see what it was okay um but it was what the what i thought was interesting was they were saying like um you know, it's for, but it's free for the Amazon um, Prime users. Yeah, that's that's their, well, so so I mean, that's their, basically their competitor to Netflix. But I don't think the series was all that exciting, at least for me anyway. Um, well, I, I yeah, uh, do you, do you know like where we would go to look for it on the Amazon site? Cause this, no, I, I would just Google like Amazon exclusive streaming TV show. Maybe it'll come up in um, maybe a recent search or something. Veronica Mars? Yes. So, Veronica Mars has a movie coming out 
which is a Kickstarter project. Oh, yeah. So all the fans uh, got together, and um, Amazon is saying you can only watch, you know. So people are like, oh, yeah, I love that show. I want to watch it again. So I don't know if that means that then Netflix doesn't have Veronica Mars at all. Yeah, I, I think there's a good chance that they don't have Veronica Mars, um, at least not on their streaming, because the discs are like a different um, uh, set of uh, rights issues. Okay. Uh, so you know, I bet I, I. But you know, I don't know. I, I don't know that they've been released on DVD, but I'm kind of assuming. Um, yeah. It's a band, uh, a trance group. Uh, second clip that I've played from them. Uh, uh, they're, they're, I've, I've told you their name before. They're called Flow Job. Okay. And uh, they, uh, I think they're from Denmark. I think it's just one guy now. It was like two dudes and one dude like dropped out. Oh, no. Well, you know, I, I don't know. Doing other stuff or something. Yeah. It happens a lot in the DJ world. People want to go do their own thing. Yeah, maybe that one guy was really the driving force behind it, and the other guy wanted his own thing, or the, the one guy was still passionate. Anyway, their sound hasn't changed too much, but um, yeah, I mean, they're they're like um, they're pretty good. They, a lot of their stuff I'd heard on uh, SoundCloud already, but uh, with the uh, iTunes um, uh, uh, version, like uh, an album came out called uh, USB Ready. So it was like last year. I, I don't I don't know actually when it came out, but. Yeah, I mean, I I really like their uh, their their trance music, and th this one is uh, is is really solid. They, their stuff has evolved from like um, very uh, like their first stuff kind of was like kind of ravey. I don't know. Uh, like I have a few of their songs from like two thousand six, and uh, I don't know. They just kind of sound kind of ravey. They're they're cool, but. This one's called Flangers in the Night. I mean, this was sort of the era of like where maybe what they were doing is pretty close to Psytrance. That was the era, you know, 2006. There's a lot of like speedy side trams or Goa that's out there now, but you know, it's a little different. And then over time, their sound kind of evolved uh, to a more kind of psychedelic type thing. Uh, so from their. Uh, 2011. Well, yeah, their 2008 album, Zentertainment, this this was probably like the most kind of psychedelic kind of sound I would describe. Hopefully. 
that's... It does not sound like Underworld. <laughs> that opening was a little bit Underworld, but... But it's very trippy, like, the, the kind of effects and sounds they use. They're going for kind of like a amped out kind of trippiness. Especially as the song builds. I'd say the beats are fairly similar, though. side trance anymore they tended to use more uh, vocal more kind of you know haphazard vocal sample stuff but uh that, anyway, that so that that one's pretty good and then uh 2011 sway uh i would say that uh i i'm not even really i maybe haven't listened to this one quite as much and i would say that you could really just say this was a transition between uh, what they sound like here, and then their their current sound now. Um, so, uh, I mean, this uh, this one is pretty good. This one I heard on SoundCloud previously. So, maybe you can help me figure out what their latest sound is. virtual DJ stuff on, uh, you know, my iPhone or whatever, this is a really good band to throw in. You can, like, beat match them with a lot of other stuff, and they have a lot of, like, you know, kind of open passages that you could put other beats on, you know, like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, sounds pretty much like trance to me. Right, I mean, it's it's good, you know, if you like trance music, you probably like their stuff. If you, yeah, and and there's a that that's that's quite a divide, isn't it? And we know you like trance music. Yeah. What about you? I like house music more. House, house, house music. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, house music is uh, is uh, is good. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to look at my collection here though and see uh, what I have in the uh, house music uh, category. Uh, I should just look on Spotify. Who's your? What's a good uh, house music artist? I mean, Tiesto's pretty good. He's got some bigger beats. Isn't he kind of trance? I guess it depends on the song. House music. Um, yeah. Like, you know, uh, house music like has kind of evolved into an underground kind of thing over the years right like there was like um when it was when there was like a house music kind of mini trend in the late 90s there were bands like uh basement jacks right that were like remember this was like held up as cool um house music at the time of the making See, has anyone listened to Basement Jacks in like years? I don't know. I just like house music because it's got a, a beat that you can dance to. Or trance music is more of a listening music. Yeah. Um. If I were to relate it to drugs, house music is ecstasy, and trance is like speed. Nice slow groove for house music, don't you? Yeah, you're dancing. It's a party. Trance, you're off by yourself. You're tripping out. You're getting into each unique little, you know, beat. So groove armada. This do you qualify this as house? Yeah. All right. I gotta admit this I like the the gated synths. This is something that uh that I that I really enjoy about house music is uh the use of those swooshy gated synth sounds. I will not worry for you. You'll be just fine. Take my thoughts with you and when I don't know. There you go. Yeah. See, there's 
on like she's the kind of artist that they played dance department. Jim Morrison sample. Well, Fat Boy Slim was more of a big beat artist. We don't need to get into that. Uh, we don't need to get into the big beat rat hole. That that could that would just be uh, endless. But but I mean, yeah, house music is really. I mean, there's popular artists like Roger Sanchez, and uh, there's there's people that have been around a long time like. Uh, Todd Terry or whoever, you know, but like, I mean, you know, it's a really decentralized thing, isn't it? It's not, it's not as commercialized. Like, Armin Van Buren and other people are, you know, trans artists are huge and like, above and beyond people like that, right? They have like huge crowds to turn up. Um, there are big trans artists, but you know, there's a... I mean, house artists, like, the house DJs tend to be a little more underground, don't they? Down and Out in Paris and London by George Orwell. And this book is, uh, you know, it's one of those, it's nonfiction, and it's an account of of Orwell scraping by as a plongeur, like I guess of a, a kind of low order of waiter or busboy or something in Paris, and then as basically living the life of a proverbial tramp in London. And he both describes the, you know, the down market, uh, poverty level living conditions at, in um, those places. And, you know, and he contrasts them, you know, and uh, like one thing he talks about is where like in, in um, London, it's a crime to like stop somewhere. It's a crime to loiter. It's a crime to uh, uh, be idle or whatever. Like it, begging you know like like and there are all sorts of workarounds like people would draw little pictures and then beg or whatever but like you know um in paris people would be able they would just they would sleep in doorways they would sleep in metro vents they would sleep in metro stations they would if they were homeless they would just find somewhere to sleep and like you know uh in london you'd be like you know have a bobby you know poking you you know and uh so the people in London, like, once you're outside the circle of society, you're a tramp, and you survive by going to these, basically, day prisons, these, like, you play these dorms, where they call them spikes, and they give you, like, 
sur- barely survival food, like a little bit of bread and margarine and a tiny bit of like bad tea. And then you're expected to like survive on that. And then you can't stay in any one spike two nights in a row or the same place even more than once a month. So they just, people just wander around from one, you know, several mile apart, uh, you know, flea bag, you know, threadbare, you know, like, uh, dirty, uh, y- you know, crowded, unheated, uh, just, you know, ill-mannered hellhole, you know, they're just going from one to another in Paris. It's, it's pretty fascinating. Sounds like a great uh, read. Yeah, like like in like so so the uh, the the London hell um, hellholes like like basically he was on you know he was on the I don't know he was basically the equivalent of like a you know a homeless person but they call you know they call him tramps kind of like somewhere between a hobo and a homeless person in America they but but in like Paris he was in these like like crappy apartments and he was like hanging out with this guy named Boris who was Russian who helped him find this job but it took a long time and they almost like starved and then his his before he found his he found steady work at this this big hotel but it was just like nightmarish like you would just work yourself like stupid and then you would like drink during the breaks and you would fight and everybody would have like you know would just be like exhausted and then they would waste all their money you know drinking and it was just a crazy you know it's it's fascinating um but at least like in Paris it seemed like you could kind of go between starvation and and respectability just based on whether a restaurant that your friend was going to open actually did open or something and, and whether you were waited long enough to wait for it to become a better restaurant like you know it, it was like it seemed like in London when you're disconnected you're you're not you know you're down but even then like he made the point he made the point that I thought was really interesting that in uh that if you're educated even being homeless or being a tramp or whatever isn't that bad because you're 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 able to observe your surroundings you have a lot of thoughts you have a lot of different things you've maybe read or experienced and you can you can kind of like you can think about things you can i don't know philosophize it doesn't really you know what i mean make you full or anything but it gives you something to occupy on when you're raised to just work with your hands if you're from a uneducated background it's actually a lot worse being like destitute because you really don't know what to do right and i guess it could even affect you like on an emotional level it's just the breakdown of any kind of utility or understanding of where you fit or any ability to philosophize about it i guess yeah um like he talks about a guy the guy in France, a guy in France, he talks about uh, a Romanian who had a glass eye but wouldn't admit it. <laughs> like the Paris, I'm quoting here. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> the Paris slums are a gathering place for eccentric people. People have fallen into solitary, half mad groups of life and given up trying to be normal or decent. <clears throat> um. He, in the mo money, mo problems um, argument. Uh, quote, within certain limits, it's actually true that the less money you have, the less you worry, unquote. Uh, here, here's a quote. The clerks are French, and like most French people, are in a bad temper till they have eaten their lunch, unquote. Uh, so, uh, 
like he also you know when he talks about working that big hotel he talks about how he would never want to eat at a hotel again and remember traditionally hotels would be restaurants also with rooms right the, the restaurant would be a very important part of like a fine french hotel i mean it would still would be probably for a lot of fine large size french hotels right but hotel in french <clears throat> i think it means large building even large house but you know there'd be a anyway like a, a hotel that was taking guests they um it, w it would be uh you know it would typically feature a big restaurant and then people would even come there to eat and not stay i mean that does happen even in hotels these days but it's more you know it's more that was more typical than anyway he talks about how the produce would be just be you know any kind of bad produce they could find from a local stall or delivered late off a truck and the preparation just wouldn't be clean it just wouldn't it was just rushed it was just like half-assed the ingredients just weren't you know nearly as good as they were supposed to be just like you know he would never want to eat in a hotel <laughs> yeah i mean after seeing that who would right um it, it's it's like so he talks about like different things like where um he talks about waiters, um, uh, quote, and that is why waiters are seldom socialists, have no effective trade union, and will work 12 hours a day. They work 15 hours, seven days a week in many cafes. They are snobs, and they find the servile nature of their work rather congenial, unquote. Like, anyway, there's more to it before that, but he goes on and talks about the plungers, which I think he was part of for a while, have a different outlook. There's a job which offers no prospects, unquote. You know, so, um, but... The whole idea, it's kind of funny. Like, you think about even, like, the the waiter and waitress profession today. Like, don't, I mean, I don't know. Snobs isn't the right word. And it's, it's a different culture and a different time. But, like, what I'm saying is they do have dreadfully low pay. But they don't unionize. It's still true. Yeah. And um, it's really, it's pretty easy to get a job as a waiter or a waitress um but unfortunately you get a lot of people with like bad attitudes and you know people who don't know what they really want to do and then they just bring that to your eating experience i mean jill and i just experienced that where our waiter comes in at the beginning of the meal and he's all excited and he's like you know safe room for dessert we've got this great cake i love it and then as we sit there drinking our bottle of wine that we bought and we're talking and everything, he just brings the check, doesn't mention the cake again, and then, you know, tries to rush us out. Can I ring you up? Can I do this and that? And Jill got really annoyed because she used to bartend and be in the service industry. And she's like, you don't do that. You know, you let your table stay there till they're ready to go. And, I mean, they were, like, cleaning up and no stacking deal. chairs and stuff like that. And, you know, they just want to get out of there. So... It just affects the experience with the kind of people that you hire. But at the same time, if you don't pay them a decent wage and make it an important position in your restaurant, that's what you're going to get. Now, there are places where there are great servers, you know, people who really love the industry and, you know, want to be a part of it. But there are a lot of people in that industry who don't want to be a part of it. You're absolutely right. And it was probably true then, too. There's that indifference. They don't, you know what, they don't want to think... Not only they're 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 kind of like a snob in terms of keeping a distance from their own job because they don't think that's really they're just there, you know what I mean? They don't really think, well, I should act to my interests. I should join a union or I should start a, something, you know. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, it's kind of a conundrum because, like you say, a lot of people just kind of come in and out of it. Um, uh, uh, it talks about, um, you know, uh, people like the different levels of society. Or, quote, I believe this instinct to perpetuate useless work is at bottom simply fear of the mob, unquote. That's true about a lot of things, right? A lot of school courses and a lot of stuff. Um, quote, the mass of the rich and the poor are differentiated by their incomes and nothing else, and the average millionaire is only the average dishwasher dressed in a new suit, unquote. To which I think I will say... There's, you know, because we still live in an era, like, where saying that is necessary, you know? Like, it should be obvious, but... Mm -hmm. We still live in an era where Orwell can actually point that out to people because people don't really think that. Yeah. You know, not enough anyway. And then there's... Yeah. Um, okay, so then basically he talks about victimization of tramps. Like, it's like, so so people will say, oh, well, you know, the, the tramps can, can, can eat at this place with a voucher. And then, of course, they'll short. They'll know it's a voucher. So they know you can't go anywhere else. So they'll short you on how much toast you get. You know, like... It's just it's just like kind of one uh, case of being screwed after another, and uh, but then also it's it's crazy. Like okay, so one more thing, uh, the uh, w one of the times that he worked in this kind of like kitchen of the tramp house, he uh, Orwell was like he came back and he said, you know, they threw out a bunch of good food, vegetables, and all this stuff. We're just eating this sh this crappy bread or whatever, and. Most of the tramps were like, eh, <laughs> shut up. You tramps, you know, you don't give that to tramps. Like, 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 like the whole idea, they're making this, or at least one or two of them, like making the argument like, tramps are no good and you can't, you know, you give them just barely the minimum because otherwise people would be incentivized to do this work. And he was like saying, well, you know, something to the effect, you know, well, a lot of these people just fell into this and a lot of them do have skills, but they can't find the work or, you know, like all sorts of stuff like that. This guy... This guy is a carpenter, but he doesn't have tools right now. And it was that kind of era where you could be, you know, on the difference between a job and a house and just a tramp if you had a, a box of tools or not. Yeah. You know, that was the kind of cost of capital of that era. Anyway, you know, just so it's a fascinating book and it really takes you inside the two different cities that I uh, have always uh, been fascinated with ever since I spent some, a little bit of time in them. Uh, uh, around the around the turn of the millennium, uh, and uh, and I do plan to go back, especially to Paris. With you. Krugman suggests. There's a link in the show notes. You can read the article. I mean, well, I'm going to skip over that. Um, so yeah, just go to pacificpelican.us slash 64 and uh, look for podcast 121. The post there will have uh, links. And uh, I mean, you know, it just kind of continues in the theme of what we're talking about with Orwell. Just like, you know, well, maybe um, like a year ago, people were talking about cutting social security and doing all this stuff. Now they're like, seem to be like the, the kind of malicious people that would do stuff like that and, and, and water down banking regulations, stuff like that. It seems they seem to be kind of, if not in retreat, at least not advancing as, as fast. So.
Yeah, it looks like it's the, the same story. And when was the Orwell book written? Oh, yeah, that book is like, I believe it's from the 30s. Yeah, and, and here we are with a modern day article, you know, discussing same theme. Absolutely. It's like, if anything, we're, we went, like, there was the big, uh, the, the great compression, or I think is, is, is what uh, Krugman calls it, where you talk about where the income at the top grew, but not extremely fast, and at the bottom and middle, it grew fairly fast um, from the 40s until the late 70s or early 70s or something, and so incomes were closer at that point do you know what i mean like a lot of that has been undone and we're back in like an era like what the one or was talking about not that inequality ever went away or anything like that but what i'm saying is you know we've gone to another era where there's extremely rich and extremely poor and high unemployment and yeah a lot just this attitude even though the economic system is bad and rigged and unfair that it's some you know there's still this kind of uh, whatever, like the same kind of thing Orwell faced in England, I think, uh, with or the, the same kind of attitudes he was he was aware of when he was writing. You can tell uh, just that Puritan work ethic thing. Yep. To a great extent, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, big win for Michigan State over Stanford in the Rose Bowl game. Hooray! Yeah, I mean, you know, that was. Um, Despite what the Buckeye fans might think, that Stanford was the best team. Oh, and Notre Dame. Like, you know, Notre Dame, there were just ridiculous calls. You know, I don't know if I've addressed this on the podcast before, but I basically saw a game rigged right in front of me. I went to the Michigan State-Notre Dame game in South Bend, Indiana, you know, last year, you know, 2013 season. The game was rigged. I mean, there were phantom calls and calls where the only thing happened is the Notre Dame guy pushed off and they call pass interference key points and drives the game was 17-13 I mean Michigan State didn't play great but they played well enough to win considering like drives were extended artificially Notre Dame just got the game handed to them totally rigged anyway so then you know Notre Dame beat everybody else that season and uh including Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game and uh I was telling you, there's that podcast uh, from the Same Three Guys Network. Wait, in 2013, Notre Dame beat everybody? No, Michigan State beat everybody oh, else. okay. Yeah, yeah, if I uh, uh, if I was unclear. Yeah, after the Notre Dame game and before, Michigan State be- beat everyone else the whole season. Yeah. Which, um, you know, included Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship. And, um, okay, so these guys that do this podcast, Game Time Cleveland... A few episodes ago, um, they they still they go on like oh I think the I don't think the better team won but you know whatever no yeah you know what it did win so then fucking Ohio State goes and loses to Clemson and Michigan State beats a Stanford team that was ranked like fifth in the country like you know it just like so so anyway I just it just exhausts me like Ohio State and Nebraska. The, the fans, and I, I think Ohio State's coaching staff knew that they lost, and maybe Nebraska's fans knew that they lost, but Ohio State fans didn't really seem to know they lost when they played Michigan State this year, and um, Nebraska coaches didn't seem to know that they had lost. They just talked about how they had had let, um, let got gained more yards against Michigan State than any team all year. They didn't talk about how they lost, and, and 
I'll tell you what, I only I don't know to, I, I've only talked to a few Notre Dame fans and they're people, you know, like in my family and stuff, but like they they seem to think they lost against Michigan State on some level. Like they kinda know they lost to Michigan State, even though Michigan State lost that game, you know, but but like and so Michigan State fans are not I mean they they're aware of that, but Notre Dame fans are kinda like, Yeah, you know, that was it wasn't really a win. It was you know, it was it was ridiculous, you know. But either way, you know, I mean that game's over, and then uh, at the uh, at locker room game. Oh. So this is the radio call, I think, at the end uh, where uh, Stanford had a fourth and one to keep themselves on an attempted game-winning drive because it was twenty-four uh, twenty, and they're they're you know at the end of the Rose Bowl game trying to get their first down so they can keep their game going, and they jump up and. Uh, Ellsworth and other other players, uh, you know, flew up in the air and and stopped them, and so then the radio call was like, they were, you know, they're going. Crazy. Yeah, he won't go anywhere. He won't go anywhere. Michigan State stops Stanford and stuffs them at the line of scrimmage, and the Spartans are on their way to a win in the Rose Bowl. All right. All right. And then this is in the locker room after the game. It's uh, uh, the the rapper Rich Homie Quan apparently is uh, is is cool with the program. I don't know what it, what uh, who he knows or what his connection is, but apparently he was like partying with the uh, with the uh, Spartans in the uh, locker room after the game. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, you know it was. <laughs> It was uh, it was pretty exciting, you know. Like uh, it's a big win, and uh, you know, yeah, they they beat a really uh, really good Stanford team that gave them a tough game. But yeah, you know, it was like it, over the game as the game went on, the defense held. You know, just like at Ohio State, they let some offense happen, but then they really held when the when the key moment came. You know, and it was like it was pretty cool to see. 
Um, you know, um, uh, you are a Dodgers fan, so I think it was kind of cool that our um, our teams came together, and uh, and and of course you're a Spartan fan too. But 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 Vin Scully was the Grand Marshal of the Rose Parade, I think. Yeah. And so you 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 watched the Rose Parade, uh, uh, and uh, and that was something that was a tradition that goes back to when you were a little girl in L.A. So that's kind of that's cool. And uh, and it, it, and it is one of the more elaborate parades that this, that they still do in the country. Uh, well, okay, so Vin Scully is the like classic uh, Dodgers announcer. So he has been, you know, doing their games for decades. Well, here's a clip of him from last season. Pitcher's Park. Hitter's Park. Can I ask you an honest question between you and me? What in the world is hashtag? There are so many things in this world that I don't understand that would fill the Library of Congress. And I just read an item in the paper today. I know you will be thrilled. Oh, yeah. Direct TV. We'll have a channel called Dog TV. That's right, D-O-G, Dog TV. It is for okay. comfort pets when the owner is not at home. Aww. Dog TV. <laughs> Venable, Denorfia, and Alonzo. How do you sell a sponsor to a pet? Yeah. One and two. You see what can occupy your mind when you're on the road. Yeah, Petco Park. Do you have a smart pet? Oh boy, that is a new one, and it's no joke. I'm definitely uh, dog. Well, I guess. Now, does that mean cats can't watch? <laughs> <laughs> so, he had a line in there for you, I thought. Yeah, they, yeah, um, does that, so, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll tell you what, like, what, uh, uh, what a character, but, uh, he's being quite honest, he doesn't know, he doesn't know what a hashtag is, so. I know, that's funny. Now, uh, there's, um, there's, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on out in the country, this is marijuana. Some call it pot or grass. The nicknames are unimportant. What is important oh, is that marijuana in just a yeah. few years has created a national controversy involving the Congress, the American Medical Association, law enforcement agencies, and the courts. And this month, as the schools reopen, the controversy will intensify, affecting the relationships of educators and their students, parents, and their children. This is what the shouting is about. Marijuana. Parents react to it with horror or disbelief. Many of them in PTA groups or organizations like this women's club sponsor lectures by Wrong. doctors and law enforcement officers in an effort to find out more about the drug, you to find ways of, of stamping bitch. out its use. Many young people wonder what all the excitement is about. Even if they don't use it themselves, most of them accept pot smoking among their friends with a tolerance the rest of society finds hard to understand. In spite of the reaction, or because of it, the use of the drug has grown so that in the past four years, marijuana arrests have increased by an estimated 500%. Boo. Marijuana comes from the, of the female hemp plant, cannabis sativa. 
Though it yes. grows as a weed in many parts of the United States, the most potent variety comes from Correct. more tropical climates. It can be rolled Negative. into cigarettes, smoked in pipes. Probably Occasionally, it is used to spice salads or as an ingredient <laughs> in desserts. A few years ago, it was a drug Don't associated in the public mind with crimes of violence, with narcotics addiction. A drug Fuck used you. only by society's outsiders, the very poor, minority groups in the big city ghettos. Marijuana has now become an escape for the middle class. In any metropolitan area, it is relatively easy to buy. Not openly on street corners, but with the right contacts or a little discreet inquiry, the drug can be found. You wanna get high? It has drifted from the college campus to the junior high school, from the GI in Vietnam to the career girl at home. Why do you smoke marijuana? It's really very simple. I smoke it because I enjoy it, because it gives me pleasure, because I think, uh, I think it, it, it helps to make me happy. I don't think it's a soma from Brave New World, because I don't think it induces oblivion. I don't think it makes my mind go to pieces. I don't think it's a, a false sense of security or happiness. I don't, I, I, I think that it's something that, uh, after hours on weekends is a help towards an, uh, enjoying oneself. I think anybody who lives in any kind of urban area is subject to unbelievable burdens in living. If our pace of living was not so uh, great, then well, I would say I pot would probably disappear. This girl is one of an estimated 6 to 12 million Americans who use or have used marijuana. She represents a point of view we shall explore in the next hour as we examine Our. the legal, Stop and social aspects of, of the marijuana. <sighs> you lost me an hour. 1968, Mike Wallace. Yeah. Well, you know, people are stealing road signs. Here's a story that, uh, that you brought uh, to my attention. The people are stealing the 420 mile marker in Colorado so much that the new sign reads 419 point 99 i i just i find that hilarious and i think what they should do if they were smart is um make 420 mile marker signs and sell them you know sell them in like stores in colorado for people to kind of hang up on their walls and stuff like that <laughs> i mean it's kind of funny and you know people love there's a, a whole street sign license plate kind of culture i don't understand it but People like them and want them, so why not sell them? Then you could use that money to fund replacing the, you know, the signs that do get stolen. But I just find that funny. So Colorado has legal weed now. They're selling it in the stores. Yeah, sell it right next to the weed. Yeah, that's true. No, they should. They should. Um, and uh, what, yeah, so people are just going into retail stores and buying bags of weed up to a quarter per visit or something like that yeah and there's there's been some joke stories like you know a bag of doritos now costs 300 dollars in colorado i.e the munchies but um yeah i mean it's it's the way that the world is going you know and it's it's really nice to see that from you know the, the clip we heard from 1968 to now um people are hopefully just letting it go. Yeah, know? legalization is now favored by more than half of Americans, whereas back in the late 60s, despite it being a fashionable issue and talked about among the so-called elites, it really wasn't uh, uh, there really wasn't more than a quarter or a fifth of the country in favor of legalization even in like the 70s. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, so now, I mean, this is a real watershed. Yeah, and like you said, you know, it hit a real point. Even if in the early 90s it was at a low point of popularity, it's gotten back up to being so popular that it's like more than half the country is like, yeah, it should be legal, you know, and, and, and the Colorado model should work. And Washington is doing it a little different, more like on a liquor licensing type model, whereas, you know, Colorado is allowing people to grow at home. Uh, it's up to six plants. Washington, it's not clear to me exactly, but they I don't think they really included that in the in their referendum. So now they're going to have to probably go back and have a referendum for, like, the equivalent of home brewing. Because in Washington, you're going to be able to buy it in stores soon, if you can't already, on the same model uh, uh, as kind of liquor licensing, but similar to Colorado. Um, but, you know, because they already have been selling um, permits, and they had like a lottery for permits because there were more applications, right, than than uh, ones available in, in uh, King County, I think, or Seattle or something. So, you know, uh, now though they're gonna they're they're moving on to this model that's gonna it's it's gonna be a lot different uh, than you know the way it's been in other states. Yeah, well, I, I you know I'm excited to see where it goes, and hopefully more states will will follow them. Where are we going? And now, um, we'll take a quick break. to uh, more stories uh, we have Liz Cheney rage quits her campaign for a Senate seat from Wyoming and why'd she do that because she was gonna lose probably but you know she uh, she just didn't really uh, seem to be able to unseat um, right-wing Senator Mike Enzi, who is the current Republican, and nobody seemed to like her, <laughs> and she probably would have gone down to embarrassing defeat. Um, and she backstabbed her own sister. You know, um, the thing is, like, uh, these are these that set her off against her sister. I think her sister's uh, Mary Cheney, or I'm not sure, or something like that. And so she's she's the one that's in favor of gay marriage and is it is and is actually in a gay relationship. I think a gay marriage. So you know it's pretty offensive to her that and they they were releasing like I don't know dueling statements or things like that. You know like well as you know I don't know why she was saying this about my family. You know. Where did you see a fight within a political family become so public? 
President Obama has launched a war on our Second Amendment rights. Liz Cheney's known as a vocal critic of President Obama. He's launched a war on our religious freedom. He's used the IRS to launch a war on our freedom of speech. Former Vice President Dick Cheney's eldest daughter rocked the boat this summer by launching a primary challenge against Wyoming's senior senator. And now she's getting into a war of words with her own sister, who is openly lesbian. I am strongly pro-life and I am not pro-gay marriage, said Cheney Friday in a campaign statement. Over the weekend, Mary Cheney reportedly fired back on Facebook. For the record, I love my sister, but she is dead wrong on the issue of marriage. Freedom means freedom for everyone, wrote Cheney, who married her longtime partner last year. The pair have two children together. Liz Cheney's statement was in response to what her advisors call a deceptive poll asking Wyoming voters if they were aware Cheney supports abortion. So anyway, yeah, they're like, you know, deflating political games and it's stupid. But yeah, I mean, so she's out of the race now. How did she rage quit? Well, she basically... Uh, didn't face the voters and she just withdrew and uh, that's, those are my terms because I, I, th- I picture her fuming and seeing how she isn't going to win and then giving the typical family excuse which she gave some variation on that I'm not even going to look up the exact words but it's you know it's some something to do with, with spending time with the family or family health or family issues or whatever and it's one of those kinds of bullshit reasons ambitious people like her don't pull over uh, at key times to spend time with their family. They charge forward and they use their family as a blanket, as excuse, you know, uh, and a media relations tool. Yeah. So, so she was like, she felt like she wasn't going to win. And... Yeah, she was, she was just, no, there, she was no hope. And, and she would have gone through a year almost now. Like, just this would have been a year to find until November of her just running this losing campaign, uh, or at least until their polls um, for the Republican nomination happen. I don't know how the Wyoming system happens. It's not, you know, so, so Wyoming was going to drop out of the headlines basically because she isn't, you know, wasting up space there. <laughs> she can go back to wherever she came from because people knew she wasn't really even a Wyoming kind of person. You know what I mean? Right. And I, I don't mean, think her father was either. No, he was living in Texas and he was pretty pretended to be in Wyoming. That was another rule that they didn't seem to think applied to them is that uh, the, the vice president and the president aren't supposed to be from the same state, actually. Um, and, you know, uh, sometimes you got to look at the real important issues. Like, what would happen if we replaced our current artists with dolphins? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's really trying to talk him into even painting anything. How's he gonna get the paint? I don't, why would he give a shit? He's a dolphin. Um, that must be his lifetime work of painting. I would say this is a form of animal abuse. I'm not sure. Maybe. Dolphins, like he you said, doesn't want to do it. Paint. I don't know. I don't know animals well enough to say. <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of bizarre. Almost as bizarre as a Cheney thinking they're popular. Listen to that sound though. Like, what does he want to do? He's like, he's probably saying, "I want some fish. Give me some fish." He probably wants fish, and you know, that kind of looks like a cigar, like an old timey cigar with like a, a cigar handle, or I mean, a cigarette. You know, like a cigarette handle, cigarette. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> 
Well, so Google is facing off um, against the H2. The people, I think it's the same group, the MPEG LA or whatever, that is behind the H264 codec. Now there's an H265 because there's new 4K era stuff coming out. So there's new codecs apparently. I don't know. I, I see. I don't know why. I would think that maybe H.264 and others would support 4K, but maybe these are optimized for it. Anyway, so now there was a VP8 codec that Google released as WebM, and then there was also H.264. And H.264 is much more popular for video in this last generation. Now, in the newest generation, there is word. I don't know if this is true, but according to this article, um, this site called nofilmschool.com, I'm not really aware of uh, who's behind them. Um, they they're saying that their their headline quote poised to be the dominant 4K streaming codec unquote. So apparently Google is convincing people to hardwire this because a lot of times these codecs are supported at a hardware level on devices so that they can easily read stuff. Like there might be H.264 hardware in the Apple TV device that there may not. I don't know, but I think it you know it uses that type of thing on a lot of those devices where there's hardware support. So VP9 is a free codec. Google is pushing it as, well, it's free. And there's, you know, I mean, so compared to H.265, you know, there's going to be technical comparisons, but there's also price comparisons, and free is, is definitely a good price point. So it looks like this free codec might become the standard in next generation of streaming. I don't know. That's kind of like a video story, but you know what I mean? The idea of a free codec is kind of cool, at least on the surface, right? Uh, so I would say nothing is free, and what do we think is really behind Google's um, <clears throat> motivation to do this? Yeah, well, I mean, maybe maybe even the fact that they're leveling the playing field on their devices, meaning that when they sell Motorola devices, they won't have to pay anyone to have H.265 hardware if they're... You know what I mean? If someday 4K is supported on, like, tablets and they're releasing Nexus tablets or Motorola tablets, they won't have to pay for their own hardware. So, I mean, there's there's that element of it. So, at the very... Right there, they have some financial incentive. Yeah, and then they're... What is Google but advertising? Yeah, they just want the pipes to flow and they want people to be able to buy the device because it's 5 10 bucks cheaper because you pay the Kodak tax when you buy a lot of devices. You don't realize that part of what Apple or... Um, Samsung or whoever has to do and some of these companies are also part of some of these rights holders of course in this kind of circular corporate world but they have to pay for the ability to use that codec so if you have a Sony uh, Handycam there's a good chance it uses H.264 it's a good chance that part of your purchase price small part is uh, is paying for the H.264 um, rights that Sony had to buy on your behalf in order to make the camera yeah or you know as part of the license or something like or something to that effect you know so yeah if it's free then you know maybe there's just more content going through more pipes and even that like you said that's the key insight even that has a massive financial incentive for google absolutely let alone any other kind of skullduggery maybe they they know that by vp10 they'll be charging a lot of money because they'll push the competitors out they there may be something like that to it but i kind of doubt it because a the other people probably won't go away and b they don't even have to have that incentive, right? Their incentive of just keeping pipes flowing with data and taking a little chunk of that advertising through Google Play or Android or whatever. They, they want, 
their their search, their services. Um, so there's been a little bit of a mainstream attention to Bitcoin. Have you heard any of that shit? I have. It's kind of, it's it, you know people like you and me have been talking about it um, for for a couple of years, but uh, you know. I've always seen it just as this risky speculation. So the fact that some people made, you know, a lot of money by holding on to them, that's cool. That's like buying a risky stock and it going up. You know, I I think that 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 like the currency is a store of value and a means of exchange, right? Right now Bitcoin is a means of exchange, but how exactly is it a, a store of value? I don't know. Yeah, that's a that's kind of a a question that's out there and there's people that follow economics a lot more closely than me. I have some links in the show notes. They um they talk about uh just some of the different um some of the different arguments about Bitcoin and how can it differentiate itself. Like so this equitablegrowth.org um uh website has an article where they're asking how is it going to differentiate itself? from Dogecoin or Litecoin or other stuff like that. You've, you've seen those maybe where what's happening is the basic Bitcoin architecture is kind of, you know, documented, but people are creating their own version of it. So, for example, I think Litecoin tries to use less energy. I could be wrong. But, like, the different um, versions, because Bitcoin, one of the ridiculous parts of it is that it's it's not very green. It, 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 because more and more people are trying to make Bitcoins, that means that it takes more and more processes to quote unquote mine a Bitcoin, which is a matter of solving a crypto. Uh, uh, it's 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 basically trying to solve an algorithm. Like it's trying to, it's a it's 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 um it's it uses cryptography. It's trying to it's it's trying to solve these uh, problems. You know, like they, it like something maybe in somewhat analogous to. Uh, find whoever finds the next prime number as they get further and further apart gets a reward, you know, and that, and well, that's kind of what people are, ma- you know, running these machines. And it used to be that a, a normal, maybe high-end machine would be able to mine for Bitcoins. But now people need server farms to do it practically. And so it's this cr- crazy just expenditure of resources just to solve these abstract problems i don't know it's just a it's a very strange phenomenon and you know there's all these different imitators so that's that's the point of one of the points that the equitable growth page i was looking at makes uh you know um why wouldn't dogecoin or one of these other ones that is designed with the bitcoin idea more or less but maybe with some new uh modifications even improvements possibly and so why would Bitcoin be able to say that they're really the place that's the, that's the the essential one other than just asserting they were there first, which maybe isn't that important. You know, you've seen first comers, first movers come and go, right, in a lot of industries. Yeah. And then and then there's this um this site antipope.org where they're very anti they're very anti Bitcoin in fact and uh they're uh they talk about this was written on a day where it crashed 50% because the Chinese government banned uh, its use in local exchanges and deposits. Um, so, so I, it, it, you know, it's gone in these crazy directions, though. It's gone, I guess it was over a 1,000 at a point. I'm not sure what it's at right now. But, but uh, you know, the people are basically, there's this argument, like, people think that 
that there's a political agenda behind it too that you know it's kind of like an anti-society kind of thing like trying to like secretively move money like you know who is that really in the benefit of people with small or moderate amounts of money or you know people trying to stay out of you know uh you know trying to keep attention away from what they're doing i mean i think privacy is good but the actual use of bitcoin could could be i mean it's it's this kind of libertarian kind of almost political movement do you know what i mean that's what it's kind of becoming yeah and so maybe that hype is really pushing it up as much as anything now. I always think it's interesting when something like this comes into the discussion, though, because whether it's it's good or bad, it, it challenges us to think about our own economic system and our own monetary system and sure. you know, what improvements, if any, need to be made. And Bitcoin may not be doing it right to some people, but... At least the the discussion is happening yeah. around this phenomenon. No, I think it is good, and people like me that tend to uh, maybe question the point, the value of stuff like this, and think that the the way that the U.S. dollar is people people you know that's a fashionable thing on the right wing, the libertarians to attack the U.S. dollar as a quote unquote fiat currency and all this kind of stuff, and you know well whatever like my my view is you're right this even bitcoin being around makes someone like me educate myself to see like well i gotta dig into this is our monetary system really that solid and i'll tell you what a lot of times when i go digging into stuff i gotta admit i come out and i say this is really this is fucked up like 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 aspartame i was like i don't know if aspartame is that dangerous and then when i I went researching i was like i actually think it probably is now you know like like I, i i well i'll tell you what the u.s dollar is pretty solid as far as what I've, what research I've done, because there is a lot of question out there. It's 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 going to collapse. You know, in hyperinflation, collapse. You know, de- we are actually in a depression, but that people don't talk about that. They talk about hyperinflation and dollar collapse. That's what people seem to be afraid of. That's bullshit. There's no basis for that. Dollar went down against the Canadian dollar and stuff like that because oil went up in price, and Canada's an oil country, and you know, there's there's reasons for a lot of this stuff. The, the U.S. dollar is a solid store of value. It's a solid way to hold your assets, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, even the Republicans attacked even the credibility of the U.S. debt system. But we the U.S. didn't quite default, right? It was very close last year, and that was bullshit. And those Republicans screwing around with the system. But the U.S. hasn't defaulted, and it won't. You know, the U.S. is a solid system that can collect tax money from it's large tax base and it can print its own currency and it's managed in the inflation, right? I mean, we have through all this inflation isn't the problem. The problem is that the economy isn't moving because there isn't enough confidence there. there the, the reason there isn't enough confidence is there isn't enough spending on, you know, consumer goods on capital goods. Uh, and the reason that is for that is because businesses and consumers are expecting negative or slow growth and they're not investing and they're not spending and the only real way to get things going with any kind of speed is the government stepping in and spending and then causing the expectations of growth to go higher so that people start spending more and just you know priming the pump right that's all that needs to happen you know and instead of that we get this this talk about austerity which at least maybe is in retreat a little bit like we were talking about Previously, at least uh, tangentially, with the stuff about Krugman and all that. Um, well, I uh, 
I have an iOS app. This is a cool app. I mean, maybe I'm kind of sharing like, you know, like this. This is what I was using to make those, those things. Um, oh, the photo of the wild bird subscription that I get every day. Yeah. Yes, yes, we try to get those out every every day, but they're they're certainly most days. We can. Well, let me get my iPhone from being unplugged here. Okay, so this app is called Fragment, and it's available for the iPhone. And what uh, you can do with it is you can load a photo, and then you can. Well, I guess it's sort of like placing a bunch of different panes of glass over an image. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? But then you can rearrange them, and you can change the angle. Very cool. <clears throat> kind of mosaic-like. I, I, I mean, it, 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 I, it's in the same kind of, uh, yeah, kind of... Uh, uh, kind of category is mosaic but it's a little it's a little different so so okay so uh here we will pick uh this picture taken in seattle and we can shape the thing or we can enlarge it so let's we'll enlarge this part of it and we'll go here and then okay so now we go through all these different effects and uh angle placement and uh, then the type of effect. And you can scroll through and then you can move not just the, well, sort of the glad, the prism over the image, but then if you hit this button, you can move the image. So you can, like here, you can, you know, you can find, you can create all sorts of very cool different subtle or as you've seen in some of the other, like ones, more extreme effects. Like here, right, like I've just created some multiple images of the uh, space needle and the foreground the house is is, is only changed slightly I, it has that what, what kind of a cubist kind of effect to stuff i like it well thank you so much for joining me for this epic uh podcast as we we close in on an hour and 42 i didn't even realize Time flies when you're having fun. Ding! <laughs> I'm my own soundboard. I know your 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 laugh is my favorite sound effect. Although actually, if you I, um, there's this version, but. <laughs> podcast about podcasting like that's what happened we got blindsided with that when i was like well i was like oh there's a new episode of the command line podcast so that's i guess kind of a geeky kind of podcast uh but it's a good one uh and they uh i've played it for you sometimes right yeah um well how would you characterize it i characterize it characterize it as geeky 
And they get really uh, into their topics. Yeah, occasionally he has guests, but it's usually um, the main guy. And uh, it, it, it has a... Anyway, it has a lot of discussion of open source, but, you know, technology in general. A dude named Thomas Gideon, really smart guy, uh, but he um, he used to do the podcast regularly, and now, um, I think as he explained in that podcast, he was talking about why he doesn't do his podcast as much anymore, and part of it is that his work, he used to work as a programmer and have, like, a passion about technology and culture and politics, and now he kind of works, he works at some think tank or something in Washington, so he's kind of in the the milieu of the stuff that he's passionate about or something too and uh well i don't know so he doesn't make as many but he's like well i will now i'm now going to use the medium for what you know it makes sense like where when you when you have new content just post you know but like it's funny because like a lot of podcasts are like on schedules you know like his until just now um like putting yourself on like a schedule You don't like that idea? I don't know. Well, what do you think? If he, if he said that, do you think he was just saying that because he's not posting regularly anymore? Yes. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I mean, that's like the, uh, the podcaster's version of spending more time with my family. Oh, or bloggers, oh. you know? I mean, you know, how many blog posts... How many bloggers have the, oh, I haven't blogged in so long. Oh, that's post. the worst post. Oh, that is the worst. I'm not going to be on the schedule oh, anymore. that is a plague. Anyone who just comes hasn't blogged on their blog in a while, and they and the first thing they write on their blog is how they're going to blog more on their blog. Oh, oh. I mean, stuff is going on every oh. day in your life. I just want to be like, fucking asshole. That you talk about. So there's always something to talk about, and really what it is is that, you have either lost the passion or you, yeah. you don't have... I mean, you make time for what you want to make time for. So it's it's just an excuse. Oh, I was going to say that exactly. It's the most absolute excuse ever. Excuseful excuseness is all it is. Excusing excuse yourself. <laughs> Sing out with uh, some Brett Anderson, unsung.